All right, welcome to the conversation. I'm really privileged today to be joined by Mia Mason, who is is running in the first district of of Maryland for Congress as the Democratic candidate. And what's particularly exciting about this for me is that this is this is where I'm from, and it and it's an extraordinarily interesting district, and it's the and it's the kind of district that Democrats are going to have to figure out a way to win. If they're if they're ever going to be the kind of populist progressive party that they want to, it it spans what's known as the the eastern shore of Maryland. For people who don't know what that is, that's kind of that's the the eastern side of the Chesapeake Bay. There is there is oddly no western shore. People who live on the west side of the Chesapeake Bay don't consider themselves to live on the western shore. They consider themselves to live in Annapolis or Baltimore. Or Washington D.C. and it's it's so it's one of these places that has a very strong cultural identity, but they're only about 250, 300,000 people. So they Democrats have kind of mashed a whole bunch of other Republicans, or what used to be Republicans, into that district so that they could redistrict the entire state and you know, basically win seven out of the eight congressional seats and then just stuff all of the Republicans into this one. But because Demographics and politics are changing so rapidly. Everything is now up for grabs. The, the, the suburbs that they thought that they were writing off are now moving Democratic, and you know climate change and and, and uh, development are changing the nature of the Eastern Shore as well, making this a district that is uh, you know certainly uh, plausible for Democrats to run in. And uh, Mia uh, it, it is taking a crack. At Andy Harris, who is who is not one of these kind of centrist moderate Republicans, he's a far right kind of Tea Party Republican. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Mia can explain more about who, who this guy is. Uh, but so, Mia, what is what has it been like um, talking to voters in this district? I, I assume a lot of them tell you, you know, why are you even bothering? This is such a Republican. This is such a Republican place. You know what? You know why? Why bother going after Andy Harris? What are you? What are you hearing as you're talking to voters in the in Maryland's first district? Well, as I'm talking with our voters in the district, they understand that this is about the policy, regardless of what our gender is or our identity is. It's about taking care of them, voting for them, representing them, making sure that policies for our healthcare, our economy, and the COVID response are actually being taken care of where he has failed us by voting no against our communities. So when we talk to our, our communities, this is what we're talking about. What is affecting them right now and what they've been going through for the last several months. Right, and, and this is a kind of an odd, oddball representative. I mean, if I remember correctly, didn't he first get famous when he was a state legislator? He tried to take money away from the University of Maryland because there was some kind of R-rated film that a student group showed at an event. You know, he and he and he went to you know as a state senator tried to take money away from the University of Maryland as a result of it. What's his approach been to coronavirus? Has he been kind of lockstep with the the Trump and anti-mask crowd? I believe so. He is one of the top five loyalists to President Trump, and he has made it himself to also take the therapeutic drug that he is testing under, you know, the Operation Warp Speed. So he is really taking his own life at risk 
to be able to help the president and those of the community by cutting the red tape and hurting our communities. And the other thing that he was famous for was in his first days of Congress was complaining about his health care not starting on time. So one of the, the one of the most outspoken environmentalists that have been a member of the Republican Party in the last 30 years actually represented the district that you're running in now, as, as you know for sure, Wayne, Wayne Gilchrist. Um, despite being a Republican, you know he was he was a, a leading advocate of cleaning up the Chesapeake Bay, um, fighting against pollution. Um, and 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 broadly drawing the ire of a, of a lot of industry forces. And so it always made me think that in that district there, there there is an appetite for that type of politics. Um, have, have you found that to be the case or has polarization gotten so intense since then? He was beaten by Andy Harris in uh, what 2008, uh, has polarization got gotten so intense since then that even people who do care about the environment are still kind of just checking that R box. Well, Representative Wayne Gilchrist is still taking care of the environment. He's still taking care of the communities. And he's even came and supported our campaign, which is showing a lot of support for Democrats to be able to remove this man who is simply putting a bandaid on everything by giving simple grants to help him when he should be fighting for our communities. So with Representative Wayne Gilchrist's help, he's been immensely helpful in helping our Republicans sway to us to help us get us elected for this November election. And one of the big issues, and so anybody who lives in Washington or the Baltimore area knows that getting over to the Eastern Shore requires you to cross what you know what's known as the the Bay Bridge, which often has a lot of backup on the Eastern side, on the Eastern Shore. A lot of people over there are kind of hostile to the idea that you would kind of either expand that or build a new bridge somewhere else. It's this classic kind of development versus conservation versus economic activity argument. You know, what, what are you hearing from people on either sides of the bay and where do you come down on, on the idea of, uh, of, of expanding the bridge? Well, our folks in Kent County definitely do not want the third bay bridge in their right. neighborhood from BWI to Queens and County. That's where I'm from, Kent County, (laughs) yes. Yeah, it really affects our environment when you want to devastate the white marshlands and everything else that is part of an island or farming community, including the historical preservation that is needed to keep, you know, the Eastern Shore so beautiful the way it is. So our obvious choice for the governor after this election is to basically say, put the bridge right where the other two are and make sure that it has public transit on it so that as Folks down in Trap County, I mean, Cambridge and Dorchester and Tabot County, they have like a 2100 development coming up. Well, those folks don't want to be stuck in Bay Bridge traffic. They need a new Bay Bridge right where it is right now. Well, why is that so difficult? Like, it just seems so obvious that you already have two giant bridges next to each other. It's the shortest gap across the Chesapeake Bay. Why is there this? This hunt for uh, for another spot that will have the environmental implications that are that are so obvious, and then the development that comes with that. Well, like what, I don't I don't I don't even understand. Is it Baltimore interests that are pushing this, or what? 
It's the maintenance and the cost of maintaining those bridges. They're both 30 to 40 years old now, so they're gonna be needed for a lifetime replacement here in the next 20 to 40 years. So it's an economic development as well to make sure that we have something that lasts, that doesn't cost us so much in maintenance and increase our tolls. And then of course, when you're still looking at the traffic and congestion for every Friday, Saturday and Sunday, it backs up all the way down to Easton and backs all the way up past Perot by Annapolis. So it's about easing that congestion as well, reducing the time that you're sitting in traffic, which also reduces our climate emissions. Right, so you're now what, 18 days away from the election. Uh, the 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 suburbs around Baltimore are were for very typically considered to be you know the strong Republican area that that Democrats wanted to carve off and give to the Eastern Shore. Have have the Baltimore suburbs kind of gone the way of suburbs nationally in that they're tilting more uh, Democratic, or is there something unique about uh, Baltimore and the Baltimore suburbs that is keeping them more strongly conservative? I think that we are in the majority of the women who have sided with us and that's what's gonna lead us into the victory is the women are voting their conscious to make sure that they have affordable health care, make sure that they can get the education for the kids. And then of course, make sure that they have a job for them and their husband. What's been the posture of the state Democratic Party and the National Democratic Party to your race? Are you getting the kind of help you think you need? No, we've basically been grassroots organization with our coalition No Dem Left Behind. And of course, you know, we've basically only had small dollar donations from those that we've been able to reach with the limited resources that we've had. And so I know you got to run pretty soon, but tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what your what your what your pitch has been to voters. Well, folks, I am a veteran, a friend and an advocate and part of the LGBT community. We're basically focused on your land, your legacy and your vote. So we really appreciate that you get the opportunity to complete your early voting and also come out for election day to vote for our policies, regardless if it's a man or a woman coming to your Congress here in the future. And last question, what is the what is the early voting time time period in Maryland? In Maryland, so the people know. Sure, in Maryland, it's going to be October 26th to November 2nd from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. and then, of course, November 3rd, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Well, Mia Mason, good luck to you starting on October 26th and especially on on November 3rd. Thanks so much for joining us here on the conversation. Thank you. All right, welcome back to the conversation. I'm Ryan Grimm and I'm joined here by Farron Cousins. Farron is down in Florida and we're gonna talk a bit about Senate races across the country, but particularly about the presidential election first. Farron, what are you seeing down there in terms of enthusiasm for Donald Trump on the ground? And I'll follow up with why I'm asking about this, but you know, the. Polls out there have, have have Joe Biden surging all over the place. But there are some other numbers out there that are a little bit less optimism inducing for Democrats. What what are you what are you seeing down in Florida? Um what we're seeing when you kind of look, you know, a little bit past the poll numbers is actually kind of terrifying down here in Florida. 
Um, the latest numbers out show that Democrats do have an edge right now among registered voters. But that edge is only about 100,000 voters. Now back in 2016, there was about a 300,000 gap with the Democrats having that advantage. So they've fallen by roughly 200,000 voters. The Republicans have made up that much ground in just the last four years, which is shocking considering the fact we have had a lot of outside groups come and spend money down here in Florida. We've we've got former felons, those that don't owe the fines and aren't subject to the poll tax. They are being registered, but it still isn't quite enough to really you know make Florida you know, go blue for good. This is still very much a swing state. And I know the polls, especially with the elderly voters, they're showing great things for Biden. The other numbers aren't looking as clear right now. It is it is very muddy. And so election night is probably when we're gonna have a better picture, not even a, a finished picture, but a better picture of where Florida's gonna go. But Trump doesn't really have too much of a path to the White House without Florida, Biden doing so well in the other swing states right now is good for him. He, you know, can do this without Florida. I don't know that Trump can. Right. And you're seeing you're seeing similar numbers in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin as well when it comes to these voter registration numbers, and particularly, you know, when they zero in on. These what they call white non-college over 30. You know, people who are over the age of 30 years old who have, who don't have a college degree are are registering to vote at a at a clip that is much higher than than any other demographic. And it's not enough to kind of overcome the polls. But what makes Democrats nervous, I've heard, is that it it might signal that there is enthusiasm among that group that that Trump has been able to engender with his you know four year, four year you know theatrical performance that he's been putting on for them because you know people think that if everybody votes in in every state that Democrats are going to win but actually in states like Florida Pennsylvania Michigan Wisconsin there there there's this bottomless well of these you know, white voters in their 30s, 40s, 50s and above who don't have college degrees, who haven't voted before but are eligible to vote. And if you can trigger them, you know, that's kind of a path back for Trump. So are, are, are you seeing evidence compared to 2016 that there is more excitement on the ground for Trump among, among that demographic? Well, it's really interesting because I think what we have here is what you know they've been calling in the polls the uh, the shy voters um, because well I got to take back a little bit back in 04, in 08 with McCain Palin in 12 with Romney Ryan you saw those yard signs you saw those bumper stickers all over the place it was everywhere mm-hmm. you do not and I'm in a I'm in Northwest Florida super super red area Matt Gates is our congressman it, it's it's Republican land. They haven't voted for a Democrat since 1960. So to not see that everywhere, to see more signs for Phil Ayer, who is running against Matt Gates, to see as many Biden-Harris signs is, is good. But mm-hmm. the people who have nothing out there, it's pretty much well assumed these are Trump voters, these are Trump supporters, but they're a little embarrassed by it. The enthusiasm is there, it truly is. 
They just don't like to show it because even here in this red, red part of Florida, there is a stigma attached to it. You know, it, it is this thing that you don't want to have associated with you for most people, or, or some people, I should say, not even most, but for some of them. So we are seeing the shy voters, and I think that's why some people can get lulled into the sense of, oh man, Biden's got it down here. Eh, really not. I mean, it, it's not as clear cut as it seems. So the enthusiasm certainly exists, but I think a lot of it exists behind closed doors right now. And t tell me if I'm right about this, but you, you talked earlier about how Democrats, you know, went from a you know three or four hundred thousand voter registration advantage down to a hundred thousand. My understanding is that a lot of those people are legacy Democrats, you know, people who were Democrats back in the 1940s, 50s, 60s. And have been voting Republican basically since the 70s, but just simply haven't haven't re-registered. And for some reason, they kind of culturally consider themselves Democrats or just don't, haven't bothered to do the paperwork. Um, but are but are for all intents and purposes Republicans. And so the fact that they have a an advantage on paper uh, should not actually be seen as a, like a real advantage. Is 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 that is that right, or is that just kind of something that 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 people say about Florida? No, it, it really is. You do have a lot of, you know, well, I used to be a Democrat back then, but I, I lean more conservative now. And a lot of it does have to do with, you know, the, the population aging. Yeah, I mean, there, there have been plenty of studies that show that, yeah, as people age, they do tend to get more conservative, you know, in general. Mm -hmm. There's obviously exceptions to that, but that's what happens. And, and they don't need to change it. You know, they don't need to vote in the primary because we have closed primaries, or at least that's their mentality. I don't need to go to the primary. Whoever gets it, I'm gonna that's who I'm gonna vote for. Right. I don't really care. They're all interchangeable. So they don't change it and they stay a Democrat. They vote as a Republican. So there is plenty of that, and that's certainly gonna, you know, rear its ugly head on, on election right. day. So uh, it, it's gonna be really interesting, hopefully interesting in a good way, and not interesting in a way that, you know, makes us all want to bang right. our head against the wall when this is you know the returns are coming. Right. And so, so in Arizona, in the Senate race out there, where where Mark Mark Kelly is is taking on Martha McSally, uh, you know, he's doing extremely well among old voters. Joe Biden in Arizona is doing very well among older voters. Uh, Joe Biden's doing fairly okay in Florida among older voters, but not remotely as well as he is in Arizona. Uh, why? Like, well, what's a what's your take on on? What the difference is between I have my own theory, but I want to hear yours since you live down there. Why are the why are the old folks in Florida different than the old folks in Arizona? We have uh, not to say Arizona doesn't have a diverse population, but we have a big amalgam, especially down in, in South and Central Florida, of people who are not necessarily native Floridians, mm -hmm. native Southerners. So we get you know. New York Republicans that retire down here, New Jersey Republicans, and we do have a large, you know, Cuban population that has come here. And those are the ones that they always try to scare with socialism. That's that's why that plays so well here, because these are people who went through, you know, uh, very hard living circumstances uh, for a considerable amount of time, and when they're told. By these new, you know, leaders in this new country, that hey, they're going to put you right back into that. They don't exactly have a way of knowing 
how American politics work. You know, they've been here long enough. Yeah, they do, but that plays well. The socialism scare mm-hmm. plays well with them. Um, and it plays well with the elderly population to a degree as well. So the the difference in, I guess I would say the kind of people that move to Florida versus the kind that are in Arizona, that could be why there's such a discrepancy. Uh, you know, that's just one theory I have. So I, I am interested yeah. in what you. No, no, that that is that's half of my theory. The uh, the other half is that Arizona is is really a retirement community for largely for Californians, uh, and so you get much more liberal people move moving down there, um, and some from the Midwest and and Colorado, but but largely it's that it's Californians who who head down there to retire. Whereas, like like you said, you're exactly right. New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, even Ohio, even it's the Midwest. Uh, you know, so a, a lot of a lot of conservative people coming from the Northeast down to I'm down Brady. to Florida, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so they they bring their they bring their politics down with them. So, uh, looking looking at the the landscape now, if 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 you had to make a call, um, how do you think that we're going to be? How do you think people are going to uh, be feeling about Florida uh, on election night and then uh, a couple days after? I'm I'm hoping that we we don't screw it up for everybody, but I, I really do think uh, we could be looking at another situation like 2000. I don't know that it's going to be you know to the Supreme Court as bad with just Florida, uh, but I do think what really happens in Florida is going to play out over a week or so. Um, but I would love to be optimistic. But in the area I am in Florida, it's very difficult to be optimistic right. about this. Sure thing. And uh, Farron Cousins, uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us here on the conversation. Talk to you Thank soon. You. Thanks.